It is a significant accomplishment and challenge if one is uh, able to not allow his professional uh, environment to invade and to divine his uh, religious identity, religious sphere. Uh, and certainly it is an even greater accomplishment if one is um, able to take uh, his religious values, the values of the Torah and Halacha, and to bring them with him uh, into the workplace. And this type of consistency, though, is uh, exemplified and displayed by uh, our good Yedid, by Roshol Lubetsky, who is uh, a Torah Kabaro in this sense, that he operates in his personal life and his professional life, constantly LP, uh, the, the values and the uh, positions of Halacha, and we uh, congratulate him on the new, uh, new office space. And may he have continued to have much Hatzlacha and Mazel here. And we, uh, we thank him and give him a grace of for giving us all the opportunity to, uh, to blend and to unite these two worlds which in uh, we interact. <coughs> but I think it's uh, highly appropriate at the time that uh, we find ourselves in, as Claudio so finds ourselves in, uh, to set aside a little extra time for Talmud Torah, as we all know, Unfortunately, we are suffering as, as a nation at the hands of uh, the descendants of Yishmael. And Chazal tell us that Esau, even though he was ensconced in the entire spectrum of Averis, he remained committed, he grasped onto one mitzvah. And that's the mitzvah of Kibbut Aviyem. And he marries the daughter of Yishmael. And Yishmael also has a unique uh, connection with the mitzvah of Kibbut Aviyem because he was Mechabit Avram Avinu, uh, alone for 14 years before Yitzchak was born. And in order to enhance his Kibbut Aviyem, Esav married uh, the daughter of Yishmael. And Rabbi David Kohn suggests in the Sefer Maisa of a similar Bonim that perhaps that's why Yaakov went to learn in Yeshiva Shem V'Ever for 14 years, corresponding to the 14 years that Yishmael was Makayim Kibbut Aviyem, because the Gemara tells us in Mesechus Megillah, Gado Talmud Torah Yosem If you have a conflict between Talmud Torah and Kibbut Aviyem, Talmud Torah uh, takes precedence. So in order to overcome the Zechus of Kibbut Aviyem of Yishmael, Yaakov Avinu went to learn in Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever for 14 years to, to immerse himself in Talmud Torah. And so too suggested David Cohen, perhaps in our times as well, uh, we must uh, rededicate ourselves uh, to Talmud Torah and Amir Tzashem that will serve as a Zechus for us uh, to protect us from the attacks uh, of Yishmael, and uh, not only us, but protect all of Klal Yisrael. Amen. Yaakov Avinu finally encounters Esav here in Parshas Vayishlach, so he presents him with a gift. And in order to encourage him to accept that gift, he, uh, he flatters him. He says, May you accept this gift. Because seeing you is like uh, being in the presence of the Rebbeinu Shalom himself, clearly uh, was an exaggeration. So he flatters Esav in order so that he should, uh, he should accept his gift. And therefore I think it's uh, perhaps an opportunity, because this coming week's parasha, parasha Yishof, to discuss this uh, Easter in the Torah, which we'll uh, see the parameters of, of flattering uh, anyone, flattering Rishoyim. And what we'll have to try and do is resolve that concept, or how do we reconcile that, with the, uh, with the idea of Mishanim Ibn Shalom, the one is supposed to lie uh, and exaggerate certain things in order to keep the peace and to complement uh, others, and how do we negotiate the relationship between these two concepts. But the Gemara tells us in Masech the Saita 
Commenting on this pasuk in the name of Rish Lokish, How is Yaakov Avinu able to flatter Esav? Being in your presence, being in the presence of the Rebbeinu Shalom, so Rish Lokish derives from here that is one is allowed to be machnef Rishayim to flatter Rishayim and Olam And Rebbeinu disagrees. Upliga the Rebbeinu, the Amar Rebbeinu. Marshal Shal Yaakov Esav, the interaction between Yaakov and Esav can be compared. The Ma'adavar Doimah, La Adam Shazimin as Chaver Vehiker Boish Mevakish Lahargoi. To a man who uh, invites his friend over, and he recognizes that he wants to kill him. So Amaloi, so he says to him in passing, Tam Tav Shilzeh, you know the dish that we're eating. Shani Toim Ketam Shul Shatamti Beveis Hamelch. That tastes like the dish that I had in the house of the king. Amalei Yodel Emalka. So he's dropping the hit and he's name dropping. I know the king. So he will be intimidated and he won't, uh, he won't kill him. He'll feel uh, threatened. So says, Yaga, uh, says uh, Rebbe disagrees with Eish that no, he wasn't flattering Esav. He wasn't saying, see, being with you is being like being in the presence of the Rebbe Shalalem. What he was saying to him is, I know the Rebbe You look like the Rebbe Shalalem. Meaning, I know the Rebbe Shalalem. Don't uh, start up with me because I have powerful friends. So he was threatening Esav. He wasn't uh, flattering him. However, how do we understand the opinion of Rish Lakish, that one is allowed to flatter Rishoyim and Olam Hazer? The Karen Oira asks on this Gemara and Masech the Saita, the same question is uh, really posed by Rebbeinu Bechai and Chomish, that there's an Easter in the Torah to flatter Rishoyim. Maybe it's, it's mentioned in the Torah, maybe it's, uh, it's only the Rabbanah, but there is an Easter that emanates from the Pasuk in Parshish Maseh, where the Pasuk says, the preceding Pasuk says, If there is a person who kills someone else, Bishayge, so as we know, he has to go uh, seek refuge in the Ir Miklot. Can he buy his way out of it? You know, can he write a check? I don't have to go to the Ir Miklot. So the Pasuk says, You're not allowed to take a payout, a bribe that he shouldn't go to the Ir Miklot. Then the following Pasuk says, And you should not corrupt the land in which you dwell. So what does that refer to? It already said, don't take a bribe. This is that it means that you shouldn't flatter him. Even if you're not taking a bribe, you shouldn't flatter him. Initially, the Pasuk is uh, telling us, the first Pasuk, you shouldn't take a bribe from the Rosh from the Ritzayach, you shouldn't have to go to the Yer Miklot. Then, then the next Pesach is teaching us that you shouldn't flatter him because of his, uh, his status or because of his uh, influence or because of his, uh, his lineage. Even if you're not taking a, a bribe, a payout. So there, the Pesach here seems to indicate that there's an Easter to flatter Rishoyim. Some Rishoyim count this in the Minyan HaMitzvah. The Sefer Yireim counts it in the Minyan HaMitzvah. The Bahag... Say for Charedim, the mainstream Rishonim don't, but that might not mean that they don't believe it's Nisim Midairaisa to flatter Rishonim. It might be, which is not, you know, it doesn't deserve its own entry in terms of, you know, the rules and regulations of what gets inserted into the Minyan Hamitzvahs. But at worst, we're dealing with an Isidar Rabbanan, maybe it's an Asmachta, but, but at, you know, it's definitely arguable that we're dealing with an Isidaraisa. So ask the Karen Oira, how was Yaakov Avinu allowed, according to Rishlakish, she was flattering him? Where Blavi says he wasn't flattering him, he was intimidating him. But according to Reish Lakish, how is one, Yaakov Avinu, how is he able to flatter Esau? Is he in the Torah? not allowed to flatter a Russia? And how can Reish Lakish derive from here that Mutalah Hachnef the Rishalim by the So the Karen Oyer explains the soldiers of Benu Bachia and Chomish that we must be discussing a situation where Yaakov Avinu felt his life was in danger. 
Das reich loki shemutu lahachnev es haroshim mebnei ayira shechein hichnev Yaakov leesav. He was afraid that he was going to be killed if he didn't flatter him. Or from the whole situation, it was a, his, you know, it was a precarious one. So if one's life is in danger, that's what Rish Lakish comes to tell us. One is allowed uh, to flatter Rishoyim. Flattering Rishoyim is an Eastern Torah, but it's not from the Gimel Averus HaChamuras, it's not Avodah Zorah, Gili Arias, Shvichos Domim, so it's not Yaharik Val Yavor. What about the opinion of Levi? So it says, Rabbeinu Bechai, Vedas Reb Levi, Sha'af Mepnei Ayire Oser. Oh. To be Machnif Rishoyim is Yaharik Val Yavor. Even if you're afraid your life is in danger, you're not allowed to be machnif to Russia. Umasha hichnif Yaakov la'esav chanufa kazois muteris. He says chanifa l'rishoyim is yarig val yavor. So how? What was Yaakov Avinu uh, saying to Esav? Lefishu loshon kailo shnei mashmos loshon l'shevach l'ugnai. It could be understood in two ways. Just like the word aleikim, aleikim could be understood loshon kaidish as referring to the rebbeinu shalalem. It could also be understood aleikim loshon chal, referring to avodah zara. So Soto over here says, Rabbeinu Bechai, that Yaakov Avinu said something that was vague. He had in mind to intimidate Esav. Esav took it as a compliment. You know, that's Esav's fault. So says, He took it as a compliment. I didn't mean it at that. He meant it to threaten him as an intimidation. That's not my fault. He understood it that way. For example, you know, a person says to someone else, you're, you know, Highly unique individual. You know, unique. Uniquely understanding to the words. The guy thinks he's the God's gift to the world, so I understand how. That's what he means. He recognizes my greatness. If, you know, but it could also mean unique is, you know, to be odd. I always had a Rebbe who, uh, whenever the late, he always had one late in the shear, so whenever he would come in, he'd always come in late, so he'd say, Ah, oh, look who's here! You know. So Yesh Darshan Lushvachi, the guy thought, oh, the, well, the Rebbe welcomes me every day to Shia. <laughs> he was saying to the rest of the Shia, hey, what do you want from me? Look who's here. So, why, would okay. say, why would you say it's Yahari Bab Yovah? It's in this. Oh, thing. we'll have to get to that. Okay, fantastic. We'll have to get to We'll have to get to huh? All the presents. He sent presents. Presents too. I can send a present. That's definitely the condition. Oh, no, the presence was, uh, it's not Hanifa, the presence is Matanov. So says the Rabbi Bechai over here, he wasn't flattering him. He was, uh, he meant it as an intimidation, just because Ezev understood it in that fashion doesn't make it also for me. So I believe for Rabbi Bechai, we see that there's a dual machlekes here, two points of dispute between Reish Lokish and Reb Levi. The first is Reish Lokish believes Hanifa the Rishoyim, is, uh, is uh, not Yahari Valyavar. The only time it's Aser, it's Aser, yes, but if you feel your life is in danger, you're allowed to be Machne for Russia, you're allowed to flatter uh, the Russia. And the opinion of Rablavi is no, it's an Eastern Torah and it's Yahari Valyavar. You have to give up your life rather than do this. And then Rablavi adds, and by the way, if you say something that's vague, even though he takes it as a, as a flattery, in a positive way, I, if I didn't mean it as such, then it's allowed. And presumably, Reish Lakish would reject that, that interpretation. Reish Lakish would argue, I don't think we're reading too much into it, Reish Lakish would argue, no, it depends how the other person understands your comment. If they interpret it, L'shvach, then it's also, even if you did not mean it, even if you did not mean it as such. And I believe that these uh, two points of dispute between Reish Lakish and Rebbe whether Hanifa L'Risham is Yahar Yavo or and, does it depend on what I meant when I said it, or how the other person understood it, are really connected, and as we'll see, it's a machlekes harishonim. It probably represents two different understandings, two different perspectives as to how to understand this iser of Fanifa l'rishonim.
How could it be, though? Well, we'll see. The Gemara tells us in Masech the Saita over here, we'll see that this issue is Machlekes Rishonim, because the Gemara tells us in Masech the Saita the story of Agrippus. Agrippus was the son of Hordus. Hordus, who we know, his son's name was Agrippus, was presumably not Jewish. Some Rishonim argue that his mother was Jewish, but either way, even if his mother was Jewish, his father wasn't Jewish, was not fit to be appointed as the king. But since he was the ruling party at the time, and Yehuda, he appointed himself as the king over Klau Yisrael. And as we know, we celebrated last year, the year after the year of Shemitah, on the first day, Chalamoyed Sukkot, is a mitzvah of Hakel, that the king should come to the Makam HaMikdash and read certain parashiyas in the Torah, one of which is parashas, uh, certain sections of parasha Shoftim, which is the parasha of installing a king. So Agrippus, who was the king, was functioning in that role, and he was reading the parasha HaMelech at Hakel, first day, Chalamoyed Sukkot, in the eighth year. So says the Mishnah Masech the Saita. I'm getting up to Daf Yomi soon. Right? Oh. So I'm ahead of the Daf Yomi. It's good. Agrippus HaMelech Omar V'Kibel V'Kar Oymet. So he took the Sefer Torah and was about to read. V'Shibchu Chachomim, and they were praising him. U'Kishigila Lo'Yisuchol Oseis Alecha Ish Nochri. When he got up to the Pasuk, that the king cannot be an Ish Nochri, and he recognized his own status, that he was in violation of that Pasuk. Zogu Ein of the Mos. So he began to cry. Amrulai, they said to him, Altus Yora Agrippus, don't worry, don't be afraid. Achinu Ata, Achinu Ata, you're our brother, you're our brother. Calm down, you'll be fine. They consoled him, and he continued on. So Talamish made the Rabnasan, Ba'isa Shon is Chaibu Sani Yisrael Kaliya. At that time, the enemies of Klal Yisrael, of course, this is euphemistic, this refers to Klal Yisrael themselves, became Chaib and Kaliya in destruction. Because they flattered Agrippus. So it certainly does not sound like what they did was correct. They flattered Agrippus, they told Machinuata, don't worry, you're fine, when in fact they should not have. So, but why? Agrippus was the root, was the king. <laughs> what do you mean you're not going to flatter him? He'll kill, he could kill the entire Jewish community, wipe it out. So it says, Rabbeinu Yad in the Shari Tshuva, that you see from here, You're not allowed to flatter a Russia. Even if your life is at stake, your life is in danger, this is Yaharik Val Yavor. That's the opinion of Rabbeinu Yoyna. Taisus in Saita, though, disagrees. Taisus argues, Yesh Lefaresh, Shaloi B'Mokam Sakana. No! They didn't feel threatened by Agrippus. Their life wasn't in any danger. That's why they became Chayv in Kaliya. Because they were acting uh, and their life was not in danger. And they violated gratuitously then an Easter in the Torah of B'Machne Peshoim. If their life would have to be in danger, says Taisus, it's mutter to be machne for Russia. And he proves it from a Gemara Mesechtas Nedarim. The Gemara tells us Mesechtas Nedarim the story of Ula, who was traveling to Eretz Yisrael with two Bnei Chuzai. And in the middle of the trip, one got up and literally slaughtered the other one. I have a story to tell after the trip. So he turns to Ula. He must have felt a little bit remorseful. Says Yehus Abdi, did I do good? Amalei <laughs> in. He said yes, you did great. Uparlo beisashchita. Why didn't you make it a little bit wider? You know, put the exclamation point. The truth of the matter is, he was uh, the person was bleeding out, so Ula wanted him to bleed out faster, so he would die faster. Okay, minimize the pain, but it certainly encouraged him. So he also commanded Rabbi Yechon when Ula got to Eretz Yisrael, he came before Rabbi Yechon and Amalei Dilma Chaz V'Shom Chaz Kisidei Oivrei Avera. Maybe, perhaps, I encouraged an Oivrei Avera. 
Amalei Rabbi Yochanan, Nafshecha Hitzavta, you saved your life. Sounds like it was an approving comment. So it says Titus, you see, if your life is in danger, obviously Reish Lakish felt threatened by the, the murderer, axe murderer was, you know, living literally right next to him. So he was, uh, it was uh, legitimate then to, uh, to flatter him and to save his own life. So Titus says, if your life is taken in danger, so then you're allowed to flatter a Russia, you're not obligated to give up your life rather than flatter the Russia, it's not Yahari Vayava. Rabbeinu Yoyna would probably respond to this Gemara, you know, that's not a ringing endorsement. He came to Rabbi Yochan and he said, did I do good? Rabbi Yochan said, well, you saved your life. He did save his life, there's no doubt about that. That's, you can't argue with that. So I don't know if that means it's an endorsement. You know, a guy comes and asks a Shiloh, and there are many people do this. Afterwards, did I do good? Well, you know, <laughs> you saved your life. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> no, you did wrong, right? So he said, so Rabbeinu Yoyna might interpret this Gemara, you saved your life, it's not an approval necessarily. So we have over here is a machlekes between Taisus and Rabbeinu Yoyna, same issue that we have found the debate in the Gemara and Soita, this issue of Esau being machne for Russia, is it Yaharig Val Yavar? Do you have to give up your life rather than do it? Or maybe it's not Yaharig Val Yavar, it's not one of the Gimel Averus HaChamurus. It's an Esau maybe in the Torah, but you don't, why should you have to give up your life rather than be machne for Russia? So it seems to be a machlek between Rabbeinu Yoyna and Taisvis. Now, Taisvis' position is much easier to understand. We know that Gimel Averus HaChamurus is a Gile Rais, a Vedazar Shvichus Domen. The Machne for Russia is not one of them. But how do we understand the opinion of Rabbeinu Yoyna? How could it be that being Machne for Russia should be Yaharik Valyavar? So, as we know, there's one other Avera that is Yaharik Valyavar, and that is Chil Hashem. The Gemara tells us in Mesech the Sanhedrin. That the only time you only have to give up your life for three Averas, is if it's in private. But if you're in public, in a group of ten uh, Jews, or if it's a time, then you have to give up your life rather than violate any of the mitzvahs of the Torah. And if it's before Hesia. And if it's a time of religious persecution, you have to give up your life rather than even switch from one minute, Arach to the Masani, to change the color of the shoelaces. You also have to give up your life. So that's a Chil Hashem. Chil Hashem. You also have to give up your life rather than uh, create a Chil Hashem. So it could be Rabbeinu Yoyna feels to flatter a Russia would also be a Chil Hashem. How is it a Chil Hashem to flatter the Russia? So Moshe explains in one of his truvis, based on a comment of the Yam Shoshlomo of the Marshal and the Gemara and Bavakama. The Gemara tells us in Mesechus Bavakama the following. Look over here, Oisches, and Daflam Ches Medalev. that the Roman government sent two delegations to Chachmi Yisrael, and they told them, teach us your Torah. So they taught them once, twice, three times. And then they came back with the results. They said, Everything, we checked your whole Torah, the whole thing is Emes. Except this, You say, is Potter. A Jewish shar gores a, a non-Jewish ox, the Jew is Potter. But, in the reverse case, if a non-Jewish animal will gore a Jewish animal, we have to pay Nezik Shalim. So they ask, Mimanifshah, either way, if this only applies uh, to Jews, so then, uh, even if we gore you, we should be Potter. And if it applies uh, to Nachram as well, then if you gore us, you should be Chayef. I mean, it's uh, highly offensive discriminatory, you know, type of halacha. So they said, you know what, we'll do you the taiva, we will not report this uh, to the authorities, we'll leave it as it is. So ask Taisus a Zaytik Akasha. 
Rak Taisis, how are you able to teach them Torah? Karu, Shanu, Shilshu, you can't teach Torah to Nachri. Malam et Torah, Levi Kachavim, Levi Basei, because the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Magid Varav Liyakov, Chukum, Mishpatov, Yisrael, Yasachim, Chogoy, Mishpatim, Baal Yudom. Torah is supposed to only be taught to Jews. It's not supposed to be taught to the Umas HaElam. It's unique to Jews. How are they able to teach them Torah? So Taisus says, Yeshloim at about Karkachos who Hamaisho. They had no choice. <laughs> I mean, they sent two delegations from the Roman government. You're right, teaching Torah to a Nachri, and not allowed to do it. So everybody say, but if they put a gun, to, you know, they came to BMG, you know, the Nachri came. Let me in. Uh, I'll kill you. <laughs> Let me in. What are you going to do? You have to give up your life rather than, uh, than teach Torah to a Nachri? No. So they were able to teach them because their lives were in danger. That's Taisus Kasha. So as the Yamsha Shlomo, based on Tosis' comment that their lives were in danger, he said, then I don't understand the whole Gemara. If their lives were in danger, if they felt threatened, why in the world would they tell them this offensive, discriminatory, you know, it could be understood, that's not the MS, but it could be understood as an offensive, discriminatory halacha. Why would you teach it to them? Don't tell them this halacha or lie. Change it for them. Your life is in danger. So explains the Yam Shoshlomo the following Yisoy. He says that to switch a halacha, to cover over a halacha, to be embarrassed of a halacha, to misrepresent the Torah in any way, is itself a chil Hashem, and would it be Yahari Vayavor? You'd have to give up your life rather than misrepresent the Torah. So they were not able to omit this halacha or to alter this halacha in order to smooth over relations with the Roman government. That itself would be Yahari Vayavor. The Amshashoma claims that's perhaps a pshat in this Bryce in the Mesech the Seifrim. With the Maisa of the Zakanim, who Talmi HaMelech summoned to translate the Torah into Greek. This is a, this is a similar Maisa as recorded in the Gemara Megillah, but if you'll see, the details are not exactly the same. Some suggest it occurred at two different times. But Talmi HaMelech once summoned the Chachmah Yisrael to translate the Torah into Greek. So it says the price of Ahaya Hayoim this is one of the reasons we fast our Bateves. Bahaya Hayoim Koshalu Yisrael. There was no difficult day to claw Yisrael. Kiyoim Shinasis Hagel. This was the day like the Khita Ego happened. Shalahaisa Hatara Yachala Lihitargim Koltsarka. There's no way it could be translated in its entirety without any distortion. Something will be lost in translation. So it's like the day that the ego happened. Parenthetically, Sam Seifer writes. This is one of the reasons that historically we were opposed to making translations. You know, people don't, unless they put in perspective the art scroll revolution, where that is in the, in the discussion of translations. They were not the first people to have the idea to translate the Gemara into another language. Already to, in the times of Sam Seifer and before, and it was met with tremendous opposition. For whatever reason, the art scroll had to see out to the Shmai that it got through. But... Uh, for the most part, translations were not uh, encouraged. So Sam Seifer explains, because you will automatically lose things in translation. Nothing translates perfectly, and therefore every translation, to a certain extent, is a distortion of the truth. You're distorting Torah. So says Masech the Seifer, and that's like the day that the ego happened. That's it. A big comparison. Why is it like the day that the ego happened? So perhaps it's because to distort the Torah is Yahari Valyavar, and much like the Isa of Zara is Yahari Valyavar, so too uh, translating the Torah to another language, a certain sense is a distortion of the Torah, and would have been Yahari Valyavar. So it could be that Rabbeinu Yaina feels that this uh, Isa being Machne for Russia, 
It's Yaharit Valyavar because it represents a Chil Hashem. If that's the case, so then he's uh, understanding the Isa to be Machne for Roshas because uh, you're distorting the Torah. How are you distorting the Torah when you're Machne for Roshas? So this position already seems to be espoused by the Ga'inim, and perhaps they flesh it out a little bit better. The Gemara tells us in Masech Tzuma the following. The Gemara says, Mepharsimim as HaChanofim, it's quoted here, Oisir Aleph, we have to uh, publicize the Chanafim in Nechil Hashem. What does it mean to publicize the Chanafim? So Rashi writes in that Gemara, it doesn't mean the flatterers, what it means is the, uh, the fakers. You have a guy who's uh, probing like a tzaddik. But uh, in his private life, we all know he's a Russia. So you, we, so you have to let people know that the guy is really a Russia. It can't be that we're, we all uh, keep up the charade that he's a tzaddik because people are going to see him violating Averis and that's going to create a Chil Hashem. They see a gross tzaddik violating a basic Averis is going to create a Chil Hashem. So in order to avoid a Chil Hashem, we have to let people know that this guy is a, is a phony. That's how Rashi learns. However, the Ga'inim learn that they do it more differently. The Ga'inim say, no, this is literally talking about someone who flatters Rishoyim. He himself you know, confuses Ra to Toiv, Toiv to Ra. So that itself, by flattering a Russia, you're distorting the halachas of the Torah. You're making someone who's a Russia, you're making him sound like a tzaddik. And that itself is a kind of a distortion of the Torah and is a misrepresentation of the Torah. And therefore, says Rabbeinu Yayna, say the Ga'inim, to flatter a Russia could constitute a Chil Hashem, and therefore. Be Yaharig Valyavor. But let's say then, I don't mean it as a flattery. I mean it as an intimidation tactic. And this guy, Yaakov Avinu said, what did he say? He said, I'm being with you, being like being with the Rebbe Nishal, meaning he's name dropping. You know, stay, stay away, back off. And Yaisav, you know, Yaisav, narcissistic a little bit probably, so took it as a compliment. Oh, it's like being in the presence of the Rebbe so maybe there, where you say something could be interpreted in two different ways, as long as you didn't mean it as a flattery, according to Rabbeinu Yoyna, that I didn't mean to be Mechal HaShem. I'm not confusing Ra and Toiv. He took it as such. Maybe that's not a Chil HaShem. And we find a precedent for that. It says in Shulchan Aruch, the following. Hilchus Yag Yavor. Shulchan Aruch says over here, Oisid Beis, Asi Adam Loimar, Shu Oivid Kachavim Kidesh Lo Yaharguhu. Let's say someone puts a gun to your head. Are you Jewish? Are you allowed to lie about that? Your Jewish identity, are you allowed to lie? Says the Shulchan Aruch, no. You're not allowed to lie. You have to give up your life rather than admit uh, to being a, a non-Jew. You can't deny Jewish identity. Aval. Shulchan Aruch says, if you want to wear baseball caps so no one notices you, you know, so that's fine. Yeah, okay. Says the Shulchan Aruch, you can do that. You want to go incognito, that's fine. But if they uh, accost you and ask you, and if, and if you are, they're going to kill you, you can't lie and say that you're not. But says the Ramah the following: The Avagav the Oser You can say something be understood in two. You know, I'm a, I, I'm a Bible person. You know, I'm a, a creationist. You know, so it could be he's a Jew, could be he's a, some other religion that believes in creation. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's Jew. But if that satisfies them and gets you out of that uh, situation, that predicament. It would be allowed as long as you didn't mean it as such. You, you know, you're proud to be a Jew. A person's supposed to be proud to be. That's they say the pshat is by Mordechai. The Gilas were a little early, but the pshat in the Gilas Esther. The Mordechai is sitting b'shara melech, and everyone else is bowing down. Mordechai doesn't bow down, and Haman becomes enraged. 
Why does it become enraged? Because Mordechai is not bowing down? So No, that's not why it becomes angry. It becomes angry, the Pasuk says, he says that Mordechai, when he asked him, why are you not bowing down? Mordechai said, because it's been a yid. That's why I'm not bowing down. And that, that's what bothered Haman. Says the lady, why did he do that? I mean, he's instigating, you know, he's uh, provoking him. So says the Kedushas Levi, it was uh, a midas chsidus based on this halacha. That you're supposed to be, have pride to be a yid. You're not supposed to be embarrassed to be a yid. So uh, Mordechai, you know, did a midas chsidus, did even a little bit more. He wasn't, you know, he didn't, he could have gotten out of it in a different way probably. But he didn't avoid it. But uh, it says the Ramah, so you, again, so you have to give up your life rather than admit to not being a, a Jew. To, to, to lie and say you're not a Jew. But if you say something can be interpreted in two different ways, then it's allowed. Because that's not a Chil Hashem. So, so too over here, in our situation, I've been here with flattering Roshan, flattering a Rasha distorts. Ra and Taif. It's a misrepresentation of the Torah. It could be a Chil Hashem, Yahari Valyavo. But Rabbeinu Yoyda might subscribe to that which Rablevi said, that if you say something can be interpreted in two different ways, that's not a Chil Hashem. However, Taisvis who argues, Rish who argues, that uh, flattering a Russia is not Yaharik Valyavo, I believe they understood the Easter to flatter a Russia entirely differently. Taisvis on the last line of that Taisvis in Masech Saito, his Zion says a different shot. I mean, he's really quoting the Gemara Nidarim, but that seems to be what he goes with is that the Easter is because you're being we all have a responsibility to see to it that our friends uh, who are violating we have an obligation because of Avera to see that they stop and we're not allowed to encourage them or aid them in the commission of an Avera that's called being I'm encouraging him so the Easter of flattering the Russia says Taisis is because you're being I'm encouraging him how so? I'm flattering him, and he's committing an Avera, Agrippus, is reading, he's uh, charading as the king, even though he's not entitled to be so. And I flatter him, say, don't worry, achinuata, achinuata. So he's like, I'm encouraging him to continue in the, uh, performing an Avera. Yeah. But that's not the Chil Hashem. That's not going to be Yaharik Valyavor. And perhaps that's why Reish Lakish also disagrees with Rablavi and says, if the other party understands it as a flattery, let's say, I didn't mean it, they didn't mean, uh, let's say, uh, Yaakovinu didn't mean to flatter Esav. He meant to intimidate him. Doesn't matter, because if Esav took it as a flattery, he took it as a compliment, as chizuk. So then you're being mafsik. Esav be day Seeing you like seeing the rebbeinu, Esav thinks he's a holy person, and that uh, gives him chizuk to continue down the path that he's on. So if the other person takes it as a flat, you know, as a compliment, it doesn't matter how you meant it. No matter how the other person received that message. So these two issues. Whether or not flattering a rush is Yaharik Valyavor. And whether or not it depends on what the person meant when they said the, uh, the comment. Or, what it means that they, or whether it depends on what the, how the other person received it. Might be dependent on these two understandings of how, what the Easter flattering a rush is. Is it because it creates a Chil Hashem, it distorts the Torah? In which case it matters what you meant, not how the other person received it and would be Yaharik Valyavor. Or perhaps, no, it represents uh, the fact that you're encouraging an Oivri Avera. So it matters how the other person received it, and certainly would not be Yahweh Yavor. There's one last issue that's discussed by the contemporary Paiskim uh, that perhaps is related to this, and that is Ramayisha raised a famous Shaila about a shul that has a man uh, who davens in the shul, um, who's an you know, upstanding community member. He contributes to the community, uh, an important doctor. He contributes financially, probably uh, politically. Uh, to the community, but at the same time, he intermarried. 
So they have a policy in the shul not to give aliyahs or any kibudim. A person commits certain averis that could lead to a pirza. So they, uh, he didn't get any aliyahs in the game. So years and years he's davening in the shul. He notices, hey, you know, my, my card never comes up. So he comes over and he is. How can I never get an aliyah? So they wanted to know what should they do. It's going to create a problem for them. He's going to leave the shul probably, and he, they needed his support. So he asked Ramosha. So Moshe says, halachically, there's no Easter. As long as a person believes in the Rebunish Lalam, there's no Easter to give him an Aliyah, to give him a Psicha. As long as he believes in who he's making the Bracha to, you give him an Aliyah. But Moshe says, uh, you know, the only issue is, obviously, it's a public policy issue, but, which Moshe doesn't address. But Moshe says, the only issue that he, halachically that he sees is, is Hanifa. If you give him a Kibud, uh, you're gonna you're being machnif a person who's a balavero. You have this uh, dilemma oftentimes at a dinner. A big organization wants to honor somebody, and they're them that they you know they flaunt the fact that they violate. There might be good people in other areas, but they flaunt the fact that they violate a certain iser, and it's well known. Can you honor them at a dinner? Same shiloh. So Moshe says the following. He says he doesn't think that the psicha or the aliyah will be viewed. He's talking about psicha primarily. Will be viewed as uh, an approval. As, uh, you know, we condone your lifestyle. No, it's not viewed as such. It's viewed as you do good things to the community and we're honoring you for that good that you do. Honoring you at the dinner because you participate in this organization is not viewed as uh, approval of your, your lifestyle in general. That's what Moshe's arguing. So I think what Moshe's arguing makes sense only according to Taisvis. What's the Easter in Hanifa Lerishoyim? I'm encouraging him. Oh, giving a psicha is encouraging him to remain intermarried? <laughs> it's, it's a big jump. So Moshe says, you can't interpret that. You can't read that in. No, it's, it's recognition for the good that he does for the community. So Moshe says, allowed. Because he's following in Tysus' line of thinking. However, the later Paiskim, after Ramosha note, the Ramosha's comments are con- uh, contradicted directly by Rabbeinu Yon and the Shari Tshuva. Rabbeinu Yon and the Shari Tshuva addresses this and disagrees with Ramosha. And it's not surprising, based on how Rabbeinu Yon understands the Easter. Rabbeinu Yon writes at the bottom over here of the first page, HaChanev, if you're I'm not justifying that which he did. Just He's a good guy. You're only going to say the truth as it is, you know, the good that he does. But you're going to praise him in front of other people? Says Ramayusha, that's also problematic. Also, also this is Khanifa the Rishayim. So, so, uh, so Rabbeinu Yoyna disagrees, and I don't think that that's surprising, because Rabbeinu Yoyna understands the Easter being Machne for Russia, because you're confusing people. You're confusing Ra and Toiv. It's a misrepresentation of the Torah. Is this a guy doing right, or is he doing wrong? And if he's doing wrong, we can't present him in a positive way, because that's going to distort the reality of Torah, and will be, uh, could constitute a Chil Hashem. So many Paiskim after Ramosha already raised the fact that Ramosha's Shuva seems to be against Rabbeinu Yoyna. Even Ramosha himself doesn't encourage uh, the community to do this. Ramosha says, if you have no choice, what are you going to do? But Ramosha says, even this type of Hanifa is dangerous. So Ramosha discourages it. So on a practical level, uh, Ramosha feels it's allowed, but, uh, but not, uh, it should try and be avoided. This is all the main thrust of the Easter of Hanifa, which is Hanifa L'Rishoyim. And that's where the context of the Pasuk appears in Parshas Masay. However, there's a b'risa in the Sefthus Kitanus in the Kalarabasi, where the b'risa derives from here, not only needs to be machnef for Russia, but to be machnef anyone. 
You can't say I'm going to flatter this guy, so give me what to eat. I give him, to, you know, to drink. I'll go over to the boy and say, "Oh, you know, you're looking slim today." You know, why? Because you want to raise. You want to, you want to, you know, nice suits. You know, you can't do that. You can't be machnif the not even if you're not. But at the same time, you're not allowed to flatter anyone. And this is quoted by the. Rosh in the Orchus Chaim, Al Tiftes Chaverecha, you should not seduce your friend, Besifse Chalokos with slick speech, Ubechanifus, and with flattery, Valtadab, Ulev Valet. Have one thing in the heart, one thing in the mouth. And this is quoted by the famous uh, Balmuser, Rebelo Yazer Papo, in his Sefer Pele Yoitz, which goes Al Pida Aleph Beis, a different Midas. He writes, Sheyesh Min Nois of Shachanufa. There's another type of Chanufa. Not flattering a Russia. He's one thing in the mouth, one thing in the heart. He's uh, displaying an, an extra amount, an exaggerated amount of ahava and uh, friendship towards this fellow. In fact, the Medr says that's why uh, Yehuda takes a confrontational tone with Yosef. Yehuda, as we know later on, wants to retrieve Binyamin from Yosef. And he, uh, he approaches it confrontationally. Why does he do that? You know, we, we know from our own uh, you know, experience in negotiations, it doesn't work that way. You know, make him a friend. Come to common ground. Then, you know, go for the... Well, what's Yehuda doing? He's coming like this. You're not going to get anywhere. Says the man she had no choice. Because he wanted Binyamin back. He felt it was also to, to, to be Machnef Yosef. He didn't want to flatter him. So in order to avoid flattering him, he had no choice but to take more of a confrontational tone. That's what the, the Medrash says. So there needs to be machnif uh, anyone, in any situation, to over-exaggerate your uh, feelings or you know, the, the truth as it comes to, to, the, way, to, to the way you compliment uh, or treat others. Wow. That presumably that's under the larger heading of, you know, it's a derivative of Hanif al-Rishayim. But this presents us with, uh, with a, a, a huge dilemma. You're not supposed to try and keep the peace, make people feel good. The Gemara says, as we know, there's a mitzvah to lie, to keep the peace. You know, as anybody who's been married for you know, 10 seconds knows, your wife comes down the stairs, how do you like the dress? It's great, you know. Suffer delicious, you know. Already, my wife already says, you know, she's heard me speak about this too many times. Say, so I lie all the time. Keep the peace, a lie. Yeah, the house, a lie. So my wife says, she doesn't believe anything I say anymore. There's no point in asking. <laughs> you know, because uh, the house is full of lies. But, or maybe lies, you never know. You know, like, uh, someone who come out and give a shear, not present company excluded, by the way. You know. Oh, it's a great shear, of course. You know, we want to make people feel good. You're supposed to do that. And that's the Gemara Masechtis Ksubis, as we know, famous Gemara. The Gemara says, Machlegis Beisham Beisila, Ketzim Irakna Lufnei Akala. How are you supposed to dance before the Kala? What are you supposed to say to make the Chassan and the Kala feel good? So Beisham, I say, you call it as you see it. Kala Kamoshi, the truth, lay it out. He's got to hear it from somebody, you know? Beisila, no, Kala no Vechasuda, the Kala is pleasant and gracious. That's what you're supposed to say. So Beisham, I say, well, you can't lie. Midvar Shekatirchok. Misila said, what are you talking about? The person buys something in the shuk. You're not going to praise it in his eyes. Of course you are, in order to make him feel good. So the Chidusha Ritzvah writes in this Gemara, what they mean is, Mishanim, Ibn Yashalom, you're supposed to lie 
Uh, you're supposed to lie in order uh, to keep the peace. And then the Gemara goes on. Mikan Amru. From here, Chazal said, A person should always be intertwined with others. What does Me'urevim Abrius mean? So Shita Mikubesis over there writes, two pshatim. One pshat is, you should over-exaggerate your compliments for others even though they in truth do not have these qualities. That's what it means to be Mu'urvimabrius. Why? Because that will make you popular if you compliment people. Because they will, they will like you. So that's what it means to be Mu'urvimabrius. Or, says the Shidim Kubetzes, so that people will praise you. You should be in such a situation like this Kala that everyone's praising you even though you're not entitled to these praises. So literally, people should be flattering you. You should be flattering other people. That is what it means. It's important to compliment people. There was a uh, study that was done, I once mentioned it in the Shtibol, there was a study that was done by the Harvard Business School. Everyone knows in business, uh, you have to, in order to manage properly, you have to offer constructive criticism, but you also have to give people encouragement and, uh, and uh, appreciation. So, but what's the uh, compliment then? But what's the ratio between complimenting and criticizing that uh, enables people to be the most productive? And it's important in business, important in raising children, I think. So the Harvard found that you need six compliments for every word of criticism in order to allow people to be maximally uh, productive. In that type of environment, people will maximize their potential. Why? Because a compliment encourages people to, you know, to reach higher. Uh, you compliment them this, even though they feel like, uh, he doesn't really know. But I want to live up to that standard that you set. So you need to criticize too. But you need six, you know, in parenting we have this. You know, that, uh, whenever we, my child does one thing good, you know, I compliment. You know, you get a good grade on the test, and I feel like such a good parent. See, I mock it when he does good. I compliment him. You know, but that's we do once in a, a long while, and we pat ourselves on the back. You need six compliments for every criticism. To counteract it. But complimenting people is clearly important, and that's what it means. Even if it's not true, even if you have to lie, Mishanim, if they are showing me, allowed to lie to make people feel good. Why are you allowed to do that? Why are you allowed to lie to make people feel good? So the answer probably is because lying is an Isamidus. There's a famous Pasuk in Parashas Kedoshim, that you shouldn't lie to your friend. But Rashi in that Pesach in Parashas Kedoshim says that's only in a Shavua. Take a Shavua, tell the truth. But uh, interpersonally, no. Mitzvah Lashanah, with Neil Shalom. What the Pesach says in Parashas Mishpatim, Midvah Shekhar Tirchak. So the truth of the matter is, Rashi quotes from the Gemara in Shavuos, that's only in Beisdin. Making a claim in Beisdin, a tiny bit of Beisdin, tell the truth. And if you don't, Midvah Shekhar Tirchak. You violate it. But not, uh, you know, the white lie that's outside of Beisdin, not included in these, uh, in these Pesukim. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed to find the Pusik that they're included in. So many Paiskim assume the Easter of telling a lie, if it's not in Beisdin, it's not, uh, you're not lying in money, that's called Gneva, or uh, you know, you're not t- taking a full Shvua. Lying in general is uh, Iser Midois. One of the character traits of the Rebbeinu Shalalim is Emes. The Gemara says in a few places that Chaysamash HaKadosh Baruch Emes, his signet ring is truth. The world was created with truth. Raish Devarcha Emes. And we have an obligation to emulate the Midas of the Rebbeinu Shalalim. So we have an obligation. So we have an obligation to follow in his ways of truth as well. It's Yeah, but we have other midas too that the Rebbeinu Shalom has. The Rebbeinu Shalom also is peaceful. One of the names of the Rebbeinu Shalom is Shalom. 
So what do we do when we have a conflict between two midas of the Rebbeinu Shalalim? This midah of Emes and Shalom. So the Medrash tells us in Parashas Bereshis that when the Rebbeinu Shalom wanted to create the world, the Malachi Asharis were not as kitos kitos. They came as groups and groups. So Tzedek said before the Rebbeinu Shalom, charity said, create the world because people are charitable. Mishpat came before the Rebbeinu Shalom and said, create the world because people instill justice in the world. Without people, there'd be no justice. But then Emes came before the Rebbeinu Shalom and said, do not create the world. People are devishkar and people lie all the time. Don't create the world. And then Shalom came before the Rebbeinu Shalom and also said, don't create the world because people are malay ketata. They're constantly bickering with one another. So Kaddish Baruch Hu took Emes, Hishlech Emes Arza, and said, Emes may aritz titzmach. Let truth grow from the ground. And he created the world. So Chaim said the pshat in the Medrash is, not that it was like, you know, two versus two, and the Rebbeinu Shalom took one and threw him out of the Cheshbin, and now it's two against one. But Chaim said, Emes and Shalom also wanted the Rebbeinu Shalom to create the world independently. What they were saying is, you can't have both. You can't have Emes in the world and Shalom in the world. Because if people are truthful, you'll have no peace. It'd be like a child, you know, no filter. It just it comes right out. You, you, people will be fighting constantly. So Kaddish Baruch Hu was Hishlech Emes Arza to remove the conflict. When you have a conflict between Shalom and Emes, Emes loses and Shalom wins. And that's why Mishanin Mipnei HaShalom. But now we're left with a problem. Mishanin Mipnei HaShalom is a mitzvah Lishanin Mipnei HaShalom. And, uh, you know, the Oilam is supposed to be uh, compliment people even though it's not the uh, reality. How do we reconcile that with the Isa to be uh, to be machnif, uh, not b'shoim, to be machnif anybody? Like the Kala Rabbos, he said, you're not allowed to be machnif people, shi'achleini, shi'ashkeini, shi'albisheini. How do we reconcile these two concepts? So I think the answer is Poshit. There's a whole set of Svarman, Beinadam Chavero, ten volumes, called L'Rei Acha Kamoicha. So he has this Teretz too, but I think it's uh, obvious. And the answer is that uh, in all of these cases, I seek nothing in return. I say, I don't have in mind to receive a kickback, to receive any type of hanoi in return uh, for my comment, other than the fact that people will say, I'm a nice guy. And they'll like me. That's okay. That's not a kickback. But if I... Be popular. That's fine. You want to be a nice guy, that's great. Or, uh, you know, compliment a random guy. I want a mitzvah, a shot, you know. That's all, if I have no expectations of getting something in return. That's all allowed. When is there an Easter of Hanifa is when I expect to get something in return. There's uh, reciprocation. He's going to give me something. Oh, that's Hanifa. That's Hanifa. But if I'm just doing it to make someone else feel good, that's not, uh, that's not Hanifa at all. That's one of the points. Certainly, by the way, if the person is deserving of covered. It's not Hanifa. If, if I'm doing it to get something in return, that's Hanifa. But let's say I'm just being Machnev people. That's allowed in a mitzvah to do it. And certainly if the person is deserving of covet, it's not Hanifa. For example, the Steich Hamid discusses the Shiloh, which is even more rampant in our times. Everybody, every Rav is Harav HaGain. Harav HaGain, Sar HaTayra, Isha HaShkailah, or HaGailah. You know, everybody, all the terms. In every single letter. So, so Steich Hamid already was expressing his un- He's uncomfortable with that. It borders on Hanifa. So he says he stopped doing it. Everyone was reish apostrophe. No matter what they are, reish apostrophe. So he said he noticed people are getting insulted. He's writing them letters, reish apostrophe. But he thinks I'm upset. I'm aritz. He doesn't write on Rav Agayin, So the state Chaim said the culture has changed that if you don't call people a Rav Agayin, 
So then they get insulted. And he says, Tamidah Chachamim are being are worthy of covet. So even if we exaggerate a little bit, but Tamidah Chachamim are worthy of covet. Since they're worthy of covet, there's no Israel of Hanifa. Certainly, if you want a haskama back from him, you know, so I flatter him, I go overboard, so give me a haskama to my safer, that, that, that's, that's Hanifa. But if I just uh, flatter a guy, we call him up to a keyboard, you know, at a wedding, a rabbi going this, this, and this, that's not Hanifa, he's worthy of covet. But the Pelayoyitz makes the point, he says, so many people make a mistake about this. He says, what about being Machlif uh, Akvir, a wealthy man? So the Pelayoyitz says, there's no answer of Hanifa. To be machnif and oisher, uh, to compliment him. Why? He says, because he's worthy of covet. He says, obviously the Rebbeinu is showering him with bracha. Presumably he uses his resources, hopefully, to do more mitzvahs, so he's worthy of covet. I have a... I know a Rav who, uh, you know, treats everybody the same, always makabo ko, other than the same upon him, yafiz, unless you're an usher. You're an usher. If you're an usher, get nothing. Nothing. So his wife said to him, his wife said to him, you know, I understand, you don't want to be machin, you don't want to overdo it overboard. But at least treat him the same as everybody else. So he's machin on this. Now, he doesn't want to be misunderstood, but that's wrong. You see from the Peliyot, that no, I'm the rabbi, deserving of covet. If the Rebbe is showering him with bracha, so then the Rebbe is being mechabed. So we also have a, an obligation to go out of our way to also, to be mechabed, uh, a gvir. And presumably your Banshalam is showering him with, with brachas and so too we should we should uh, be mechabidim as well. When is it chalbletu if I expect nothing in return? If I expect something in return then already that's, that's, uh, that's the chanifa that's prohibited. The Medrash does say though that there are three exceptions to this rule. If you look back at Zion the Medrash says Amar Abbaseinu Tzarech Adam Lahachnif Le'ishto Mishum Shalom Beso you have to, now if you're machabed your wife, you machnif your wife, you get something. What do you get? You get shalom bias. That's something. Mm-hmm. Or the bal chayvai. Or let's say a guy's coming for, to get a, a loan back. A creditor. You're allowed to be machnif him to push off the loan. Even though you're getting, you're getting more time. Or the rabbi I come over to him, oh your shiurim are such ga'inis, mixed with harifis, uh, because I want to get into the shir. So you're allowed to do that, even if it's a little bit overboard, in order to get into the shir. How are you allowed to do that? Here you have, say, you, you stand to gain. Yet the, the matter says, in those three scenarios, it's allowed. Why should it be allowed? There you have something to gain. So I think, again, the answer is obvious. But it's also suggested by the Sefer Lerachah Kamaycha, is that here we both stand to gain. If let's say I flatter an employee. I say to him, oh, you're so good at your job, this and that. Why am I saying that to him? I stand to gain, because I, I, I hope he lives up to that standard that I set for him. But he stands to gain. It would be good for him. So then, uh, so then, uh, we both stand to gain. That's allowed. A person's machnif his wife. Oh, what's up? delicious, you know, and he's just feeding it to the dog. Under there. That's all allowed. Why? I stand to gain. Yes, it's true. She also stands to gain. We all have shalom bias. If there's no shalom bias for me, there's no shalom bias for her either. So, and a balchayv too. There's an Eastern in the Torah called Siyalah Kenosha. He's not allowed to pursue me like a lender. So if he extends the loan, I gain, and he gains. If I go into the shear, I gain, and the Rebbe gains, the midst of Talmud Torah. So whenever you have that kind of relationship where we both stand to gain, I think Hanifa is also allowed. So Hanifa seems to be an Eastern in the Torah. Yes, it's, you know, it's a derivative of it. It's not only to be machlif for Rosh, machlif anyone, where you intend to, to get a kickback, to receive some sort of benefit in return. But if it's altruistic, or it's for our, both of our benefits, it's mutually beneficial, uh, then I think it is allowed. But so, it depends a lot on your intent. So is Rosh Hashiv allowed to give Hanufa to a rich man 
hoping they'll give him big donation? Well, remember, he's entitled to a certain amount of covet. That's not Hanifa. To give him some covet, he's not entitled to. You're saying to go overboard. We both stand to gain. No? Doesn't he stand to gain too? I don't know. I work in yeshivas, but I'm biased. I don't know. I don't know. But I will say, I will say, by the way, it sounds highly manipulative. It does. This, you know, uh, these kinds of... uh, but there was a book, as we all know, the, the first self-help book was written by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So again, such a book could also be viewed in two ways. You know, Charles Manson was a petty theft, a petty thief until he, uh, until, oh, that's what they say, he was uh, accused of small crimes, then he took a course with Dale Carnegie and became a mass murderer and manipulator. So he attributes his success to Dale Carnegie. At the same time, there's a schmooze from Abdesla that's quoted in the Myth of Melio, where he lists ten principles in dealing with people which parallels Kim Ad exactly ten rules that Dale Carnegie has. And he gave the Shmuz in 1945. Carnegie's book was printed earlier. And Rev. Aryeh Carmel, who translated the Milton Melio into Strive for Truth, said that Rev. Dessler read the review of Dale Carnegie's book in the Reader's Digest. And some have compared many similarities between Dale Carnegie's book and Mr. Melio. I also heard that someone once came to Victor Miller and asked him, is it permissible to read Dale Carnegie's book? And he said, can you read a driver's manual before you drive a car? So he said, this is the manual of how to deal with people. So it's, I mean, you could use a Hanifa for a terrible thing, but if you have uh, the proper thing in mind, um, if you have the proper thing in mind, uh, perhaps it is, uh, it is allowed. Let me just share with you one final thing. Do we have one minute before Mincha? Yeah. One final thing. And that is uh, just a, a, an outside thought, and that is that the Yaakov Avinu approaches Esav in a conciliatory tone. You know, he gives him a gift. He flatters him. He's trying to avoid the conflict, you know, as, uh, as we said. He's deferential, even. And this, perhaps, is instructive for us, how we are supposed to behave when dealing with Esav Lodiros, is to be conciliatory, to try and, uh, and avoid uh, the confrontation. However, the Rambam writes, and perhaps this brings us back to where we began, the Rambam writes in the Negeris Teman that that might work with Esav, but it does not work with Ishmael. Says the Rambam in the Negeris Teman, I mean, it's almost prophetic. The Rambam writes, The man, Sha'anu writes from Shlaimam, as long as we run after them with peace, Haim writes They run after us with war. We come to avoid the confrontation, and they, uh, they continue to be, uh, to be aggressors. And perhaps, even though this is true, Yaakov Avinu's stance that he takes to, be, uh, to avoid the conflict here at the, in the Parshas Vayishlach it cannot be adapted to our situation uh, in dealing with Yishmael. There will be no uh, reconciliation until, uh, until the conflict is over in, in a final sense. The last Pasuk of Parshas Chayesar before Parshas Toldos tells us, Parshas Toldos begins, Elo Toldos Yitzchak ben Avram, but the last Pasuk describes Yishmael, and the Pasuk says, Al pnei kol echav nofal, on the face of all of his brothers, he will fall. So Rashi says what it means is that the uh, Muslims will live in all of the nations of the world. They'll live. Yinafal means to live amongst all the nations of the world. However, the Balaturim writes over there, he says, When will fall, when he will fall at the time of the coming of Mashiach, Oz Yitzmach ben David, only then, when Yishmael is gone and defeated, only then, Oz Yitzmach ben David, Shumit Hold Yitzchak. Only then will Mashiach be able 
uh, be able to emerge. So even though this stance that Yaakov Avinu takes over here, unfortunately, will not be successful uh, in our current conflict, and uh, we dive into the Rebani Shalom, that uh, this conflict will come to the end, Yishma will be defeated, and that will lead uh, to the coming of Mashiach, to Kainu, and Harry, and